have your Bibles and would like to follow along in there, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we'll be today, Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we also will have it on the screen and you can follow along that way as well. Um, I always find that it's a good idea, though, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, and I would encourage you to bring your Bible when you come to study the Word of God. Uh, it's always a good idea to have that and have it open so that you can constantly be checking everything that I am saying or when Aaron is preaching, Aaron is saying, or when Robert is preaching, what Robert is saying. You can check it by the standard, which is the Word of God. Um, I would like to think I stand up here and preach to you every week without error, um, but I'm confident that's not the case. And so uh, I would prefer that you lean more heavily on the word of God than on the word of Denton. So take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be <clears throat> looking at verses 19 through verse 25 today. Hebrews chapter 19 or chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our text for today, <clears throat> as you can see from the title of my sermon, is a text of privileges and exhortations, or we might say truths and commands, or truths and exhortations. And I find this passage to be an encouraging passage because of the way the passage flows and moves from the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, the truth about Christ, into exhortations, into commands, into call to action. This is an appropriate uh, order of events that the author of Hebrews has provided for us. I was thinking this week about what it means to, to act, to be called, to be exhorted based upon the truth of God's word, the truth of who Christ is. And I was reminded of, of things that I, I've seen on, on YouTube Videos of people who have taken, I don't know if you've ever seen this, they've taken big exercise balls, like uh, Pilates balls, I think they used to be called, and you, they'll take these big Pilates balls and they'll put them in the sand at the beach, kind of bury them halfway in the sand to where they, they stay still, and then people will run and jump on these Pilates balls, these exercise balls, and do back flips and, and front flips and, and gainers, and all kinds of really, really cool tricks off of just an exercise ball. It's so cool that this exercise ball provides enough velocity for them to get in the air enough to be able to do flips, corkscrews, all kinds of really neat tricks. And it's amazing to see. But if you watch on certain YouTube channels, you might see that there are instances when people get their running start 
they run towards the exercise ball, and upon getting to the exercise ball, go to jump, and the exercise ball will just go and deflate and just explode and be completely gone, leaving that person just buried knee-deep in the sand, face first. Or sometimes you'll see people who run and seeing the ball jump to go and hit it and miss it or hit just on it and bounce to the side and end in uh, what we might call calamity. And those are fun to watch. Uh, I think more fun than seeing people do flips on them. But for our purposes today, I would consider that what we have today presented for us in these truths and exhortations that the Holy Spirit has given us and authoring Hebrews in this particular passage, he has provided for us truth, truth about who Christ is, truth that he has been expounding upon for every chapter leading up to this, and he is now summarizing for us. He provides for us the truth of who Christ is that serves for us as that exercise ball, as that springboard, if you will, into which we are called to action. If we were given from the author of Hebrews simply exhortations, and that's it, then I would propose that we would end up much like the people who ran to the exercise ball and then missed it entirely, who went to jump to get up into the air and were left flat on our faces because we had no means to elevate us into the air, to meet the exhortation to which we are called the author does this. He establishes for us firmly in the ground the exercise ball, if you will, of the truth of who Christ is, that we might jump off of that propelled into the Christian life that God has called us to. For exhortation on its own will leave us utterly flat. But exhortation rooted in and built out of the truth of who Christ is is all that we need for our Christian life. Our passage today then presents for us two beautiful truths, truths that are, that are essentially a summing up of what the author of Hebrews has been teaching this whole time, Verses, verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way up through verse 10, where we, chapter 10, where we are now, is essentially summed up in the first two truths that he presents, and he presents these truths along with three exhortations, compelling us towards a response to these truths. We can identify the truths and the exhortations because we see the truths that he presents, starting with the word since. This word since appears two times in our text. And then three times after that, we see the word, the words let us, the phrase let us, indicating the exhortations which the author of Hebrews is giving us. And so we have for us two truths today. These will be our, our five points for today. Two truths and three exhortations for today. Truth number one that the author gives us is found in verses 19 through 20. And this truth, indicated by the word since, is that Christ's sacrifice has granted us access into the holy places. This is point number one, the truth number one. Verse 19 through 20 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Let's, let's stop right there for just a moment if we could. And just let that line right there soak in. Because I think we take for granted the reality of what is stated for us in this passage. The fact that we, human beings, have confidence to enter the holy 
places. How on earth is it that sinful human beings could enter into the holy place, the presence of God, not only enter in there, but enter in with confidence? This is an amazing reality. The reason that the author had to go on for 10 chapters explaining these truths as as for how it is that this is possible, that we, human beings, sinful humanity, fallen, can enter into the presence of God is because his Hebrew audience would have already been lost. If he had started simply with this truth, verse number one of Hebrews, he would have lost his Hebrew audience altogether. Why? Because they were familiar with the temple sacrifices. They were familiar with the temple system, with the tabernacle, with the layout. They were familiar with the fact that entering the holy of holies as a sinful human being was to flirt with death unless you were specifically called by God to do so, specifically chosen and went through the proper means and channels to do so. His Jewish audience that would be reading this would have heard this phrase and been dumbfounded. That we can enter into the holy places. So the question has to be asked then, how is this possible? How is it possible that we can enter into the very presence of God, the holy of holies? And the answer to this question is found in our verses along with verse 22. He says, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And he says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the the Israelites, the Hebrews who would hear this, and even those of us who hear this knowing the holiness of God are right to question how it is possible that a sinful human being could enter into the very presence of God, the holy of holies. But the answer is we can enter in only because we have been cleansed, because we have been washed by the blood of Christ. This is the means by which we now can enter into the holy places by the new and the living way that is through Christ Jesus and his flesh. Because of Christ's sacrifice, he has broken down the barrier. The barrier that stood between us and the very presence of God has been removed. And he has cleansed us by his blood so that we might be presented to the Father holy and blameless and come boldly into his presence. And now we are able to enter in by way of Jesus' flesh. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ is our way. He is the door into the very presence of God. And he was able to become this because he laid down his life for the sheep. Access to the presence of God has been restricted. It's been restricted ever since Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve first 
first sinned. And the Lord removed them from the garden. And not only removed them from the garden, but what did he put in the place? He put a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword so that no one may enter into the presence of God any longer. The presence of God from that time on was restricted. And the cherubim stood. And that's an interesting fact that you maybe are unfamiliar with, but the veil of the temple in in Judaism, in Israel, the veil of the temple had artistic designs on it. But not just any artistic designs, but specifically cherubim were embroidered into the curtain of the temple. So we see then when Christ died on the cross and the veil was torn into, the curtain was torn into, the cherubim that stood blocking our way, blocking the access to God was removed. Access to God has been freely granted now to those who are in Christ Jesus and it has been made possible because the very sword that the cherubim held fell on Christ on our behalf. By his blood, by his broken body, we now enter into the very presence of God and we do so with confidence. That is truth number one, that Christ's sacrifice has granted us access into the holy place. The second truth from our passage today is that we have a great high priest like none other. Verse 21 says, And since, there's our second truth indicator, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Two of the very exhortations that we are given in our text today have already been given. They've been given back in in Hebrews chapter 4, what we read today during our liturgy for our assurance of grace, our declaration of pardon came from Hebrews chapter 4. If you want, you can look back there with me. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this. Since we have, there's a truth statement, right? Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. One of the exhortations we have today. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. There's our our second exhortation that we see even again today. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The reality of Jesus as our great high priest, the mission that he has accomplished for us, his work as our true, better, great high priest, is so good, so right, so perfect, that not only has access to God been granted, but we come now freely to enter into the presence of God. And what do we find there? We don't find what those apart from Christ find. For in the presence of God, those who are separated from Christ come and they find only His wrath, only His condemnation, only destruction. But through Christ Jesus as our high priest, we come... And we find mercy and we find grace to help in time of need. And brothers and sisters, our time of need is great, is it not? I don't know about you, but even this this morning as I was getting up, as I was getting ready for my day, as I was getting ready to come, I find that I need grace and mercy even this morning. As I come today to the very word of God to preach before you, I cannot do so apart from the grace and mercy that is available to me. Through Jesus Christ. 
we come now into the presence of God by way of our great high priest and we find that mercy and we find that grace that we so desperately need. And there's much more that be, could be said about Christ's priestly work. In fact, he has spent the last five chapters laying it out for us. And so I would encourage you to hear more about Christ's priesthood, how great it is, how perfect it is. Just go back and read. Read the past five chapters of Hebrews. That Christ is greater than any priest that has ever come before. And he is so great that his priesthood is final and it is eternal. And the earthly order of priests is obsolete. No longer do we need a man to intercede for us between us and the Father. For we have Christ, the great high priest. And he is the one mediator between God and man. Just a few verses earlier, we are reminded of this, of the greatness of Christ's priesthood when we see that other priests stood daily, offering repeatedly. Not so with Christ. Christ came and offered for all sins, for all time, one sacrifice of himself. And then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This sitting down of Christ Jesus is so significant for us. This sitting down is something that the priests never did. The priests of old had to stand constantly. Why? Because their work was never done. On the cross when Christ said, Tetelestai, it is finished. That means the work is done. And he was able, like no other priest before, to sit down and rest from his work. For it was over. It was finished. One sacrifice for all time, for all sin. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. Church family, these are two powerful truths for us to rest upon. Not only rest upon, but for us to receive exhortation from. Which is what the author of Hebrews does for us. Now that he has firmly established these truths... The Holy Spirit then gives us three exhortations, three exhortations to the readers of Hebrews and to us today. Exhortation number one, draw near to God. Verse 22 says, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This drawing near to God that we are exhorted to that we are called to here in our passage is an approach not that involves fear this is not an approach at the way someone would approach the center of a frozen lake halfway expecting for the ice below them to give way wondering constantly am i going to be okay am i going to survive this no we are called to approach the throne of grace with confidence with our faith firmly rooted, not in a flimsy sheet of ice under our feet, but in a firm foundation, which is Christ Jesus. We're exhorted by the Holy Spirit to an intimacy with God. This drawing near to the Father is different than just coming into the presence of God in order to make the sacrifice and then get out. This is a call to draw near and to embrace intimacy with the God of all creation, with the Lord of lords and the King of kings, with the sovereign of the universe. Our text tells us today that there ought to be an intimacy, a closeness, an affection, a relationship as between a father and a son or a father and a daughter. 
This ought to be the relationship that we have with God, the intimacy, the drawing near that we experience with God the Father. It is one that calls for us to come in as we come into our mother's house, into our father's house. If you've ever, if you ever think about how it is that you come into your parents' home, even as adults, when we come back to our parents' home, we do so with a sense of, with a sense of ease, don't we? With a sense of relaxation, with a sense of, of comfort, of, of being home in a sense, even if it's not our actual home any longer. When I was growing up, I had a, a particular family member who um, was very, very particular about her home, we'll say. Her and her husband, they built their own home, and they built it from the ground up, and she put everything into this home to be exactly the way she wanted it to be, and this woman was housekeeper of housekeepers. I mean, she was always cleaning, always working, making sure everything was spick and span. There was no dust. There was no dirt. There was nothing. She was amazing. She was like a machine, to be honest with you. But to, just to demonstrate the confidence that she had in her, her cleaning, her housekeeping, they put in white carpets. I don't know about anyone else, but I've never understood white carpets. You have to be so brave, so bold, so confident in your ability to put in white carpets. Because I'll tell you one thing, I'd be living in there for a week and that carpet would be multicolored. When I go to the carpet store and I decide what kind of carpet I want, I take my coffee with me. And I sprinkle a little bit on there. Can't see it. Perfect. That's what I want. That's the carpet I'm looking for, one that's going to hide the stains. She put in white carpets. So when you go to a house like this of someone who is such a firm housekeeper, keeps their house so tidy, has white carpet, how is it that you enter? I'll tell you how I entered. I entered like this. I kick my shoes off over here. No, I'll stand. That's fine. I don't need to sit, you know. It was not a very comfortable place to be most of the time. And it's not because she was mean. It's not because she was... Uh, was rude or didn't want me to be comfortable but you know you're entering into a place that is so particular so well kept and it's not your home but when I go to my mom's house we go to our mom's house uh, most Sundays and, and eat lunch with my mom and with my family and and how is it that we come in kind of like a whirlwind <laughs> you know we bring all of our kids in their shoes go every place my shoes come off I go to the recliner I kick back kick my legs up what's in the fridge what can I eat it's a, it's a sense of coming into a place where you feel comfortable, where you feel home, where you feel like this is my family. There's an intimacy that it, there is with coming into a mother or a father's home in which you don't sit on the edge of your chair as you do during a job interview, but the, the sense in which you lean back into the chair, you lean back into the couch, you kick the feet up because you're comfortable there. You're welcome there. You're warm there. This is the picture that we have of the intimacy that we have with God the Father, in which we are to draw near into his presence, not as one draws near into a job interview, but as one who draws near a loving father or mother. This is why we are truly able to come into the presence of God saying, Abba, Father. This word Abba the very same word that Mark tells us Jesus himself spoke in the garden as he prayed to the Father, asking that this cup be removed from him. And as the commentary in the Reformation Study Bible beautifully puts it, now the Spirit puts this same word on the lips of men and women who are adopted into Christ. The very same word with which Christ speaks to his Father, we are called to speak to God the Father 
we are called to speak to him as one who knows him, who is loved by him, who is cared by him, and who is comfortable with him, not one who is living in fear. Yet sometimes we forget this reality that is ours. We forget the love, the comfort that we can find in God the Father, and we fail to, to draw near to him the way we ought. We draw near to him the way someone moves out onto a frozen lake, moving over the ice slowly, cautiously, with our hearts pounding, with worry overwhelming us. And if that is the way we draw near, we think we come to God the Father, then that's a good way to not draw near. The Bible tells us draw near to God and do so as those who have been forgiven, those who have been cleansed, those who have had their hearts purified and been washed clean. Draw near to God. Exhortation number two that we find in our passage today. Hold fast to your confession. Verse 23 tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is the only of the three exhortations that we are given that, that provides additional reason for us to follow this call. And the reason is a really good reason. For he who promised is faithful. We can hold fast our confession because our confession, our hope, is built on something great. Something greater than ourselves, greater than our efforts, greater than our church. It is built on the one who is faithful to his promises, who has never let his people down. This is why Paul can say in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There is a confidence with which we can hold fast to our confession because our confidence is built on Jesus Christ, the one who is faithful the exhortation and the faithful promises that bolster it are central to a believer's confidence, to a believer's assurance, because in this truth, we are reminded of where our hope lies. So that when we begin to waver in our confidence, when we begin to waver in our hope, when we begin to waver in our assurance, the question that we need to ask is, where is our hope rooted? If we are wavering in whether or not God is good, then we don't know the God that we serve. But so often the problem is that our hope, our confidence, our assurance is found in our ability to perform and how faithful we are to him, not how faithful he is to us. And if our assurance is built, I can tell you for sure, if Denise's assurance is built on how faithful he is to God, then I have no assurance. I have no hope. I have no confidence. But our confession of our hope is not built on us. It is built on one who is faithful, unlike us. Notice that this text does not say, hold fast the confession because we are so faithful to God. It is because God is so faithful to us. Exhortation number three, live and worship in light of these truths. Live and worship in light of these truths. Verses 24 and 25, I think, take an interesting turn in this passage, in this section in which the author is, is delivering this exhortation. Because thus far, everything has been related to 
us and our relationship to God, us and the mediation that we have in Christ Jesus, and now the exhortation that comes changes. Specifically, there are two ways in which the Holy Spirit exhorts us, calls us to live in light of these truths that, we, that he has laid out for us. And the first thing that we are called to do is to stir one another up to love and good works. We see here that the direction has now changed slightly. It has been altered. And the author is saying, not only do these truths have an effect on your relationship to God, but also on how you relate to your brothers and sisters, on how you relate to one another, the church, the body of Christ. And we are called then to now turn our attention outwards and consider, how can I stir up my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I encourage them? In light of these truths, I can encourage them. I can exhort them. I can stir them up to love and to good works. And we are called to do so. If we find that these truths, along with the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us, lead us only to pour into ourselves, only to focus on us and our relationship to God, then we will find that we are failing in the exhortations that Scripture has given us. We are called to take these truths that we have, let them sink into our hearts, draw near to God, hold fast our confession, but then turn and say, how can I serve my family, the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ? We do so by stirring one another up, by encouraging one another, by in turn exhorting one another. It is a powerful thing to be encouraged, to be stirred up by your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm encouraged so often when I see a church member take up a, a task that is needed. You know, we've had probably maybe six or seven weeks in the past few months where a church member, someone who's uh, to serve in the nursery or in the children's ministry has said, hey, got a sick kid, I'm sick, not going to be there, this or that. Things that come up in life, things that happen in the life of the church. And within hours, the slot is filled. The church comes up to care for one another, to look after one another, to pick up the slack where it is needed. And this is an encouraging, this is an encouragement to me. It's an encouragement to us. More than that, how often is it that you have found yourself down, that you have found yourself struggling in life? And a simple conversation, word, or phone call with a brother or sister who loves you and cares for you can so quickly boost your spirit. And then the call for us is to say, how can I do the same in turn? I believe the same truths as them. I have the same Holy Spirit indwelling me as they do. How can I then pour into, stir one another up to love and good works? The second exhortation, the second task given in this third exhortation is that we prioritize the fellowship of the church. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a somewhat encouraging verse, I think, because even in the time we see as the author of Hebrews is writing this letter, even then there were people that weren't going to church. People who were Christians, who were brothers and sisters in Christ, who were neglecting church. 
So when we look around us today and we see people who are not prioritizing church, well, first of all, just remember, this was a problem even back then. We're not dealing with anything new, maybe new problems that are keeping people away, but the problem of neglecting the worship, neglecting the gathering together, the fellowship of believers is no new thing. But just as the author of Hebrews saw it necessary to exhort them, do not neglect this. So we too need this same exhortation. Do not neglect the fellowship of believers. Do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. And all the more as you see the day draw near. It is really easy for us to neglect the meeting together of one another. It is really, really easy. It's easy for us to let things get in our way. Whether it be sickness, whether it be um, feeling down or sad, whether it be sporting events, whether it be whatever. Things get in the way of our gathering together of the saints all the time. We are called, we are exhorted in this scripture. Based on these truths, do not neglect it. I would call, I would encourage us, I would say that then to neglect the meeting together of saints, to neglect fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, is a sign that you are not believing these truths that the author has given us. That you are not believing the truths of what it is that Christ has done, what he has accomplished for us. Either that or you don't understand what it is that we do here in the church on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday night Bible studies and growth groups and discipleship groups. What is it that we do when we gather here today on Sunday mornings? Is this a time for us to get together to make ourselves feel better but if we feel good enough, we don't need to bother coming. Is this a time when we come and, and we check the box of, uh, of Sunday service attendance so that we're good until next week? This is a time when we come together recognizing the truth of who God is. Recognizing the truth that Christ through his sacrifice has provided us access into the very presence of God. That he intercedes for us so that we no longer need a high priest to do it for us. But he invites us, draw near to God. Come hold fast our confession. And we come to receive the grace that he has given us in the church. The church is one of the most powerful means of grace that we have. That God has given us. And it's a wonder to me when I see Christians so detached from the church. Struggling so much with their assurance, struggling so much with their spiritual disciplines, struggling so much in the areas of life getting them down with loneliness. Well, yeah, you're neglecting the main means that God has given you to remedy that. The base level of what it ought to mean to be a disciplined Christian ought to mean that you are gathering together with the saints. You can read your Bible 10 hours a day. You can pray just as much. But if you're never gathering together with the believers, if you're never getting together fellowshipping with one another, your life is lacking. It is not enough. We have not been created by God to be Christians that live on our own. Any more than a hand can survive apart from a body. Or a body can survive without a spleen. I don't think the body can survive without a spleen. Heart. We'll say a heart. Whatever it might be, when you are not in church, you are missing out. But not only that, when you are not in church, the church is missing out. For God has called you 
to something more. And he has gifted you with gifts. And he has equipped you with abilities. Not so that you can just serve yourself, but so that you can serve the church. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not neglect to meet together with one another, but encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. As we consider how it is that we can take a text like this and apply it to our lives, it frankly is relatively easy. Because essentially, our application for today comes from these exhortations. In light of what we know to be true of Christ, how can we apply this text to our heart? Namely, draw near to God. Draw near to God, recognizing that He is your Father who loves you, who cares for you. If even an earthly father would never give his son a snake or a scorpion, but the things that he needs, bread and water and love and affection, how much more will a God who is perfect give us all that we need in Christ Jesus? Draw near to God. Hold fast to our confession. Hold fast our hope. And place it not in yourself, not in what you can do, not in how well you have performed. Not in whether or not you have done enough, but place it firmly and completely in Christ's finished work on the cross. What he has done for us. Place it firmly in the fact that God is faithful. He is immutable, unchanging, unchangeable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is faithful to his promises. Rest your hope in that and hold fast to your confession. And finally, live and serve in light of these truths. I was having a conversation with a woman just this last week who told me she was looking for a church home and had been to all kinds of churches. And I've known this woman for a little while now, and she's been looking for a long time. And I asked her, I said, what is it that you're looking for in a church? And she said, well, I'm looking for somewhere that I can serve and somewhere I can be used. Let me encourage you today, folks, if you're waiting to find the church where you can be served, then I don't know what you're looking for. Because each and every church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Redeemer Fellowship included, has need of you, has need of those who can serve, has need of those who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to pour into their brothers and sisters in Christ, to exhort one another, to meet together, to encourage one another in Christ Jesus and we are called, we are exhorted to live and worship in light of the truth that Christ has made a way for us to enter into the presence of God. And so together, as we have done here today, let us enter into the presence of God. Let's pray.